You're now listening to Real Estate Journeys, episode 85. Let's get it! Me on the top, and I won't stop me. Me on the top, and I won't stop me. Me on the top, and I won't stop me. Me on the, me on the, top. Yo, 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 yo. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Matty B, a.k.a. Matthew Baltzell. Welcome back to Real Estate Journeys, the exclusive podcast for real estate investors looking to scale to 100 units and live location independent. And today's guest we have on is Reed Goosens. Reed is a qualified structural engineer and project manager. Reed has been involved with construction and real estate since 2007. Reed's expertise includes project management, property development, and key stakeholder management. Reed has been involved in the development and acquisitions of over $500 million worth of real estate and infrastructure across four continents, Australia, North America, Europe, and Southeast Asia. With that said, Reed, welcome to the show, my friend. G'day, mate. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, pleasure to have you on. So, Reed, uh, for those people that do not know your accent, can you give us a little bit of a background story about where you're from and how did you get involved with American real estate? Sure. Yeah. So, originally from um, Australia, you can hear by my deep uh, South Texas accent. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, moved to the United States in 2012. And I moved for two reasons. One, uh, both were for love. Uh, One was for the love of my girlfriend, who's now my wife. She's American. And the second one was the love for New York City, uh, the Big Apple. And I moved um, to the United States really because I wanted to, um, you know, give it a go, give it a crack, uh, as I say. And so I, I quit my, my engineering job in Australia, uh, moved halfway across, across the world. There was a really awesome visa for uh, Australians to work in the United States, but you had to have a job. So I, I rocked up without a job and just pounded the pavement until I found one in an engineering firm. And that was that the one yes. And that one yes turned into a job that turned into I could get a 12-month lease. And from there, I was, I think it was at my first real estate networking event within like two weeks being fresh off the boat. And I'd purchased my first property, uh, I think, six months after moving here, all cash. So um, really just sort of burnt, burnt the boats uh, back in Australia, really backed myself to, to move to the United States and um, give it a go because the big thing you know within me is that I had the fear of regret uh, and, and I would never have wanted to wake up when I'm 65 or 70 years of age and say, gosh, I wish I'd, I'd given that a go. So my whole story is around about just you know, backing yourself, getting out there, giving it, giving it a crack. And, and, and look, the, the worst thing that was going to happen to me if I didn't, give it a, if I didn't uh, succeed was that I'd move back to Australia and I'd get an engineering job. So the, the failure side of it was, was not that bad in, in comparison, but at least I'd had a go at, at trying to, to make it in the United States. So that was, um, that was one door that opened for me once I got that job and then purchased my first property. And from there, just, it was just a snowball effect and, and, and started growing and scaling and, and learning different things and building my own business. And um, you mentioned in the, in the introduction um, about I'd worked uh, half a billion dollars in infrastructure around uh, as a professional, but I, I currently control about 150, 170 family real estate at, uh, at Wildhorn Capital, which is a business partner and I. And uh, yeah, just keep going from strength to strength. So um, that's sort of a little bit of a, in a nutshell. Uh, and, and, and my whole thing is, you know, if, if I can move halfway across the world to a new country, didn't, I didn't go to school here, I didn't have a network and, you know, didn't have family here. And if I can go from, you know, in seven years from, from not having any, you know, very limited real estate experience to now being financially free and controlling over $175 million worth of real estate, and an Australian can do it, uh, you know, so can, so can the average American. They can get off the fence and, and give it a go. 
first of all, that's a very inspiring story. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on. And so when you're coming over here and you acquired your first property in 2012, what was that? Was it a single family unit? Were you it was a triplex? Triplex. triplex was 38,000 bucks. And, and the barriers to entry into the US market was so much lower than compared to Australia, but we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so at that, at that point, 2012, you know, you're, like we said, we, we spoke earlier that you're, you know, you're acquiring large multifamily units. And when you picked, that, picked up that first property in 2012, were you thinking, okay, like multifamily or did, when did that start coming into play for you? Yeah, so a few years prior to that, after I'd spent a bit of time abroad um, after I graduated uh, in 2007, went abroad for two years, met Erica backpacking, moved back to Australia in 2010, and that's where I picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, and you know it talks a lot about getting cash flow. So when I moved to the United States, I'd already had a bit of self education for the last two years in Australia. I was going to do something in Aussie, like flipping a house or a lease option. Um, but then moved to the United States, found out that multi small multifamily was available and quite cheap, and that cash flow element of supplementing my income was there. So yes, um, I, I did want to get into multifamily. Or I wanted to get into cash flow uh, early on, but didn't not necessarily understand the scale of getting into the commercial side of it. And it wasn't until 2013, after being here for about a year, year and a half, I had a couple of properties in upstate New York because I was living in New York City and I could drive there. And a good buddy of mine came down from from Canada, and he was, you know, I was boasting that I, I think I was I, had, I was going to start a flip at that point in Philadelphia. I had two little properties in upstate New York, so I had sort of this little portfolio, but still working full time, still working for the man, still grinding as an engineer. And um, and he was he, he sort of told me about this 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 he had closed on a seventy unit like seven zero in Canada, and I was like, how the hell did you do that? And he, you know, he told me about OPM, and he, he raised a bit of money from his friends and family. He used um, seller caravac financing, and with a mentor, he was able to to take down the seventy unit property and and apply the same principles that I was applying to my triplex, which was go in, renovate, increase it 100, 120 bucks a month in rent. That increased your cash flow. Um, now, on the, on, the, on the resi side, it doesn't necessarily increase the value of the asset, but you could apply that same, at, um, that, that same, you know, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of it, the same commitment to increasing the NOI as you do on 70 units. And that scale in the commercial space was, um, was it just opened my eyes and, and it, my, my jaw dropped. And that was when I started to realize, okay, I need to take this more seriously. I need to go get a mentor. I need to go and you know start doing larger and larger deals because in I was just using my own money in in the small stuff, and I and I really was getting to the end of my tether pretty quickly because I had two you know two properties in upstate New York and a flip. That was really it, and and I the bank wasn't really going to lend to me anymore, and so I had to go out and and, and build a network, build a brand, and, and get a get a, um, a a mentor in order so I could get that credibility quickly. And um, and maybe partner with him on a few deals in order to get me you know off to the races and start to build a bit of traction with with my um, with my investors. Yeah. And was this a paid mentorship, or how did you go about finding yes, this it was. mentorship? It was, paid, it was a paid mentorship. It was on the cheaper end at the time, um, and it was someone who has was sort of a little bit older than me, roughly, uh, but but sort of mid thirties. Had only done really one big deal at the time, and mm-hmm. um, and and really, I just saw you know I was being. I could see you spend twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars on mentorship. I didn't, didn't nearly spent not even a tenth of that, and it got me going. Right, it was just more the the parting ways with money, going through a very basic program, but having someone there to be a sounding board in order to build yeah. uh, build a brand and build a business um, from, and that was really probably the most important thing. What was your first large multifamily that you acquired? 
Yeah, so I was involved with uh, as a co-syndicator on um, a, a one in 2014, uh, and it was uh, my, my mentor. And I'd moved to LA at, at that point, uh, and and then I had met this other gentleman who became not a good friend of mine, and he was involved in the multifamily space. Uh, had you know as an asset manager, had a lot of experience, you know, doing deals for institutional partners, and he'd found a deal in 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 Houston, and so I brought my mentor along and and, and sort of married the two. And, and, and subsequently, they've gone off to create an incredible company by themselves. Um, but that was sort of the first deal I got involved with. And I raised a little bit of money on that deal, but it was really playing Cupid with my mentor and, and this <laughs> gentleman. Um, and then from there, I you know, did a few more deals with them, you know, co- being a co-syndicator, raising money, doing, doing different aspects of the business as, as, a, as a co-GP. And then in 2016, started to branch out on my own. And um, in the last three years, we've acquired uh, about 1,600 units um, between in Wildhorn Capital, between Andrew Campbell and, and myself, where we're both business partners, and um, you know, you get to a point where you can ride on someone's coattails, like my mentor. But you get to a point where you want to go out and, and do it on your own, and, and that's where you go take the, the leap of faith and and start doing deals for yourself. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of how the evolution of uh, of where I've come to today. Where is uh, where's where's Andrew located? He's in Austin, Texas, and okay. um, the reason we came together was because I was starting to do, you know, I was doing these little deals on, so doing these deals with with my mentor and his partner, um, building my brand, building my podcast, um, you know, building all, you know, my investor network, but then also trying to underwrite deals in Texas, you know, 60, 70 units. Um, but I, I was missing something, you know, I had a couple of young analysts from USC working for me at the time. I sort of had set up my little mousetrap for underwriting deals. They could underwrite it. I was still working, plus you know, trying to work on attracting more more leads uh, or more investors through through my podcasting. And really, what I found was that I was you know competing on these deals with brokers that I'd never really met because I was living in LA. I was still working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week at a job. I couldn't get away to go and like two of these deals. So I needed someone with like more boots on the ground who could help me you know win deals because I was getting into best and finals on on these smaller deals. Um, and I say smaller, you know, 50, 60 unit deals. Um, but I just didn't have that, the broker relationships that could help me, you know, you know, oh, Ree, if you come up 25 grand, you're going to win this deal. I know what, you know, with, with the broker sort of thing, you know, having that the, the sort of answers to the test. And, uh, and really, you know, given my Australian accent, you know, who's this Aussie guy calling from LA trying to compete on these deals? And so um, that's where I needed to find someone with a, a partner who, who was more boots on the ground, who had a more of a complementary skill set than I did. And again, I had the back end set up, you know, with the, with the underwriting and, and, and the systems going, but I just needed that little bit extra to get me over the line in terms of, um, you know, just, just winning deals. And that was where Andrew came in and fitted that role really well. And, and then, you know, obviously, I had skill sets that he didn't have. And so, um, we, we, we were very complimentary and, and gone on to, you know, now acquire over 1,600 units in the last three and a half years. So, so yeah. Well played. So, <laughs> let, me, let me, I want to back it up. So, uh, when you were coming over to the States, you, you weren't sponsored on a visa. Is that correct? Nope. Nope. To get a visa, um, you had to have a job, right? So it's called yeah. an E3 visa and it's just yeah. for Australians. And it's essentially thanking Australians for, you know, back in the bush and what uh, Howard, um, uh, John Howard was an Australian prime minister back in late, late 90s, early 2000s um, when the stuff kicked off in the Middle East, you know, it was sort of, it was a, it was a, it was a visa to help, uh, bring Aussies to the United States essentially um, back in 2003 
And thank you for coming and helping out in Iraq. That's really what it was if you want to break it down. And, and really how do you apply for the visa is that you have to get a – so I can come out on a tourist visa, go for job interviews, then hopefully get Does one of those. Has to be a skilled position or any job. Has to be skilled. Has to be. You have had to have to have gone okay. to university. You have to have a white collar job. It can't just be working in a bar. I'm not saying that working in a bar is not a white collar yeah. job, but it's not. Yeah. You couldn't just be. You needed to be a, a high skilled trade and you know being a structural engineer. Um, you know, and working for many many years abroad. And uh, you know, worked in London on the 2012 Olympic Games back in 08. I've worked in Australia and in Asia. Um, so I had a bit of experience there. And but the big thing for me was that you know, getting that foot in the door. And so what I did differently to maybe the, the average person was I, you know, being if someone was to look at a resume, my resume would say that I went to a university in Australia. And so most people just throw that in the bin because there's, so, there's a stack of resumes. So I really, I, I wrote down all the engineering joints or, or companies in New York uh, that was what I thought was going to be less than 50 people because if you have less than 30 or 50 people, you won't have a HR department and you'll be able to get through, you know, those sort of uh, gatekeepers a lot quicker. Uh, and so I actually literally just walked in. I put on a suit and, and, and had an A4 piece of paper and I was just going down the, the, the list and knocking on doors and had my resume in hand, had my portfolio that I've worked on in hand. And, um, and eventually someone said yes and actually ended up working for a Russian guy who had a bunch of Filipino and Russian workers for them. So it, it turned out that, the whole New York is a boiling pot of, of different foreign and na- nationalities and visas is just, you know, is not a really a thing, you know? So mm-hmm. I, uh, I got the job and then went and applied for a visa and got it. And here I am. <laughs> so, and yeah. so that during this whole time, you know, like you're obviously you're taking on bigger, on bigger deals. You're, you know, having taken on accredited investors and you're developing your network. How did you go about developing your network during the whole time when you're taking on a new job, you're moving to a new country, you're getting married, you know, all this is basically happening under a time span of, you know, 10 years or such. How did you go about developing your network? Yes, you got to remember that I didn't start like moving to the United States and getting that first job. I didn't, I didn't have any idea of getting involved in multifamily real estate in terms of raising money. It was just get involved in my own deals. After being in the United States for about a year, year and a half, that's when I got my, my mentor, who then helped me, you know, choreograph uh, a podcast called Investing in the US. And that was really because uh, in and around my story, I had a really cool story about coming to the United States, burning the, br- burning the bridges, burning the boats. But also when I was going through the process of buying my first couple of properties, you know, understanding what the hell an LLC was, you know, understanding the investment lingo here in the United States. I had to retrain my brain uh, into w- figuring it out. And also, you know, f- realizing that you know, no, there's no podcast talking to the international investor who wants to come to the United States. Like, what the hell's a credit score? You know, so mm-hmm. when I first came here, I didn't have the ability to go and borrow money because I was fresh off the boat. So I had to use all cash. And through all cash, I had to then go refi it, um, pull a bit of money out, buy deal number two. And so my podcast started with, you know, the first 20 episodes is really that process step-by-step of how I went through, understood the investment lingo, understood how to get your money here, setting up bank accounts, um, you know, all the different nuances to to understand the American system, what an LLC is, how to protect yourself, the taxes, and really focused on the international investor. And so I niched really hard at the beginning um, and it's called Investing in the US, the podcast. And then over time, over the last three and a half years, I've pivoted to be not just real estate, but really inclusive of everyone, of everything. And, and, and I have majority of my listeners are from the United States. Um, but we talked to you know, CEOs of startups and, and building business culture and, you know, all those other great things. Because when you come to build, 
wealth, you know, you're building wealth right now. I'm building wealth through real estate and that's just a vehicle, but there's so many other ways to build wealth. Um, and, and that is really what the show has sort of evolved into really sort of interviewing CEOs and, and thought leaders who've created really come to this country and created something from nothing. Um, and, and so that's really what the show is. And that through that show, through that selling that story is um, I've attracted some, some, uh, some investors and, and that's just been a snowball effect um, over the last four years. So, so yeah. your, your show has been running for three and a half years. Three and a half years, we're at over 200 episodes. We do a, a, a podcast a week. So, um, yeah, it's been going for a long time. Labor of love, <laughs> but it's opened, it's opened many, many doors. And, and you know, I remember when I first started, I was like, gosh, who the hell is going to listen to me? Because, you know, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I've got a black and white brain. I don't have a gray. You know, I didn't have artistic bone in my body. And, and you know, creating something like a, like a podcast probably my mum and my dad listening to it back in the day, but, you know, it's grown at scale. I've, I've, I've created my own little tribe who follow me and I've I really loved enjoying doing that, but also then interviewing the people that I get to interview because, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's face it, if you tell someone they want you, want, you want to talk about yourself for 45 minutes on a show, of course they're going to say yes. So, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. What, what, what piece of advice would you give to somebody that's maybe kind of similar in your shoes? Let's say they're not you know, uh, immigrating into this country, but let's say they've been here for a while. They're thinking about getting into multifamily. Maybe they've done, you know, some duplexes, five, 10 units, and they're really looking to go to 50 and scale and get to a hundred. What would you, rec- what would you say to that person? You've got, you, 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 ha- you have to be building, uh, an online, online assets. And when I say online assets, you have to be building, uh, becoming a, a thought leader or, or a key person of influence in your sphere, right? You've got to, you have to attract capital in order to scale. You can't just think that you're going to do it all with your own money. And the, the sooner you realize that you, you can't do it all with your own money, um, you know, for example, look at Facebook, look at Google. It wasn't just Mark Zuckerberg sitting on a ton of cash. He had to go out with a great idea and attract capital, right? And he had to, you know, to, he had to put himself as a thought leader in the you know, social media space when social media wasn't even a thing. So the similar way you have to think about it, and you don't have to be the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, but you have to go out and create a platform, i.e. a website, create educational content, i.e. blogs or newsletters to your 100, 200, 300, 500 friends, family, whoever can be introduced to you and want to listen to your real estate knowledge. And that through educating people, you're going to attract people into your sphere who want to invest with you. And again, you don't have to be the Mark Zuckerbergs or the Tony Robbins of the world, but you can attract Two, three hundred people who all have fifty thousand dollars each, and that's a hell of a lot of money to go out and do as many deals as you want to do right now, and get you to that. You know, this whole podcast that you've created is is about getting to a hundred doors. You don't need; you probably need five to ten investors with fifty grand to get to a hundred doors. Like honestly, it doesn't take mm. a ton of. But but to get to those five and ten investors, you've got to reach probably a hundred or two hundred investors. So how do you get your message out there? And that's leveraging online platforms like iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher and podcasting and YouTube and getting your message out there using those platforms like the digital assets we spoke about um, because this is a digital asset. Doing a podcast is a digital asset. We, we are providing education to people and that's what they value. And when they value that and they give it to you for free, they're going to come back and say, hey, I want to invest with with you or with Reed or whoever. And, and because they value the, the, the story in which you've created um, your your ethos, your your mission statement, your values, and people will align with those values, and then ultimately want to come and um, and hopefully partner with you. And that's how you create any business. This is just happened to be. We have to be selling a widget of real estate. You could have any, you know, like the Mark Zuckerberg example I said before. He was creating social media. It was a whole 
different way of thinking online. Um, and so when he probably first started pitching his idea, people thought he was crazy. But we've now evolved into it. Now social media is our life and we are using social media now to leverage and get our message out there and that attracts more and more investors to the table. So the advice is that you've got to get off the fence. You've got to understand if you're going to want to scale, you're going to need to, to market yourself correctly. And that means take, you know, professionalism, understanding how to pitch properly, creating a platform online where you can educate others. And through consistency, you're going to be uh, over a period of time, you're going to be able to raise more and more money. So, mm. yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, to piggyback off that, like, you know, you're talking about the digital assets. I mean, nowadays, like that's your resume, right? I mean, you cannot fake three and a half years of a podcast. Like if it's like, <laughs> oh, you do a podcast. Let me look it up. Oh, he's been doing this like for three and a half years. He's, it says something about you, right? Or you have a blog, you have, right. you can just go on, read that, read that, read that, read that, go on, see your YouTube videos. Like these th- things take time to create and especially in this digital space now you know with branding and social media and your website and your thought leadership platforms you know like you're saying like you don't want to have any regrets and really go out there and get it because start starting today is going to be a lot better than waiting and starting in uh, you know 3 years 4 years because you could have created that much more content and been ahead of that much more people so really love that and like how you touched on that well Reed I want to close it out with the final three closing questions here for you First question is, what is your favorite book to regift? Um, I'm going to give you two just for the different levels of investors sure. here. And obviously, obviously, Rich Dad Poor Dad's the, the, the one that changed my life back in the day. And if you haven't read it, go out and read it. Um, that's for the more big, the beginners, the newbies of the world in terms of understanding the world of entrepreneurship. And, and when I first picked up that book, I didn't understand the world of entrepreneurship. And I just knew that I couldn't sit in a cubicle for the rest of my life and, and watch my, you know, be like a, I thought of like being a star athlete sitting on the sidelines and just watching my life go by. Um, so that's one book on the other end. Um, really love a book called key person of influence. And I spoke about key person, the word key person of influence or being a thought leader um, by Daniel Priestley, uh, Australian guy. He is, he talks about digital assets and creating that brand and online marketing um, to the really change the way people think about you. And, and again, it's not just about, the real estate business you're in, you could apply the, the, his principles to whatever business you're in. Um, and that's probably more for those people who are out there thinking about, well, I've got a couple of deals under contract or, or I've closed a couple of duplexes. I want to scale this. How do I go and scale it? Um, it's about becoming a thought leader and a, and a person of influence in your sphere to, to go out and, and, and raise more and more money and, and, and create a proper you know, recession-proof type business because you are putting yourself out there as the, the face of the business and people are going to want to invest in you first and foremost before they invest in the deal. So, yeah, they're the Love two that. books. So, so um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Keep Person of Influence by, by Dan Priestley. Love that. I'll have to check out the second one for sure. Second question is, what is a pain point or weakness you face right now in your business? I think the pain point right now is just um, getting to a point where where we've got enough scale where we can hire and and I can sort of essentially fire myself. <laughs> you know, I don't have to do the asset management stuff day to day. I can bring someone on. You know, I've got a couple of part time analysts. We want to bring on full time analysts. It's just sort of getting to that that tipping point of what's enough units to go out and and, and hire that full time because you can only do so much part time and it you know you know ten ninety nine type of work. Uh, for 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 a certain period of time before you then need to go and start building that the team uh, that that is your employees right and that's a different mindset to getting to financial freedom right there's getting to financial freedom tick now you're trying to scale a business how do you go and do that you need to essentially fire yourself and that's really where I'm at right now and 
going on and bringing, you know, hiring the next three to, to five employees. Who are they going to be? You know, chief operating officer, um, you know, asset management uh, analysts. They're probably the, the sort of the three key pillars of the business that are going to have to keep this thing moving forward. So, um, and, and so Andrew and I can go off and, you know, look at other deals and be thought leaders and do podcasts and more, you know, content writing and stuff like that. So, so yeah. Third question is, if you could live abroad for anywhere for one year, where would you live and why? Well, mate, I've been living abroad for the last 10 years, so. <laughs> <laughs> other than the States. Other than the States, <laughs> other than the States yeah. So, uh, I, I'm, I, I, I've been traveling the world for a long period of time. Um, oh, for a whole year, I think I would want to go to South America again. I've been down there before um, uh, and, and really maybe plant myself in a country where I could you know, continue to learn Spanish and um, I really love Peru when I was there. I don't know if it would be Peru or maybe Argentina or Brazil, even though Brazil speaks, speaks Portuguese, but I'd want to be in, in probably in South America, somewhere in South America for, for a year. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Reed, I, I, t- I appreciate you being on the show. I know we, our, the audience and myself have taken a lot of valuable information there from you today. Appreciate it, my friend. We'll catch you on the next go round. Thanks, mate. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode. If you got any value from it, please head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. I'm trying to get 100 before the New Year's ends. Let's get it. Peace.